This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. The real driver behind the rise in debt for the insured is employers pushing more cost onto the individuals who can least afford it, those who are more likely to use their health care. Hello and welcome to Healthcare Blame Game, a podcast from the Healthcare Financial Management Association. I'm Erica Grotto, a senior editor at HFMA. And I'm Brad Dennison, director of content with HFMA. Today, we're continuing our discussion on price transparency from the last episode with a very special guest. Yes, we're going to be talking with Chad Mulvaney, a former HFMA policy director, who's now vice president of federal policy with the California Hospital Association. But first, let's talk about a story we've been watching. Chad is actually the one who alerted us to this. Bloomberg Philanthropies is making a $250 million investment to create what they're calling healthcare-focused high schools in 10 communities across the U.S. The first one will open in Queens, New York in 2025. Students will receive specialized training to prepare them for careers in healthcare, potentially being placed in the health system upon graduation. In Queens, Bloomberg is partnering with Northwell Health, and the school will be called Northwell School of Health Sciences. It's expected to serve about 900 students in grades 9 through 12. According to a piece I read in the Queens Chronicle, New York City has more than 750,000 healthcare workers currently uh, and is expected to have a shortage of almost 40,000 in nursing alone by 2030. I don't think that's too surprising to anyone working in healthcare. The industry has been talking about shortages for years and years, and the pandemic worsened it. But maybe this initiative could help make a dent. Yeah. One of my favorite phrases that gets used around HFMA a lot lately is admiring the problem. There are organizations out there that burn enormous amounts of time and money on laying out the same old problems, but bringing nothing new in the way of solutions. So it's worth highlighting an organization that's doing something productive and solution-oriented with their money. Yeah, it was definitely a refreshing story to read. But let's pivot now to price transparency and welcome our guest, our old friend, Chad Mulvaney. Hey, Chad. Hey, Brett. Hey, Erica. Good to be on the podcast with you. Certainly appreciate the work that you guys have been doing since I've left. It's fantastic. Thanks, Chad. And hey, before we get to our main topic, you're the one who sent us the story about the Bloomberg Initiative. Realistically, what impact do you think a program like this could make on the healthcare workforce? You know, certainly anything that can be done to improve the workforce and expand it goes a long way in reducing costs. Because if you think about it, 60% of a hospital's cost structure is labor. And so if you have more supply, you therefore then reduce the price of that labor. 
But then also when you think about these individuals who are benefiting from these programs, you know, as we all know, healthcare jobs are air quotes, good unquote, good jobs and healthcare entry level jobs tend to provide a stable career path for those who want to stay in healthcare. I don't think anyone listening will have to think too hard about someone who started at the very sort of entry level of, you know, registration and work their way up to be a director of patient financial services or a VP of patient financial services, or someone who started in patient accounting and ended up being the CFO of a hospital, or ended up as a frontline nurse who ended up becoming the CMO of a hospital or a health system. And that's a rare thing that in these days when you can go to work for a hospital and health system and build your career in that system and eventually end up in executive management if that's what you want to do. This Bloomberg initiative is spending about $250 million to train an estimated 6,000 students and prepare them for the healthcare workforce. Well, and what's interesting about that, Brad, is, you know, it's unclear to me when you read the press release as to whether that's 6,000 a year or 6,000 in total. And if that's 6,000 a year, then that could be incredibly impactful on, on the overall workforce issue. I agree. It sounds like an annual number. You know, beyond just the impact of this investment, this considerable investment that Bloomberg philanthropies have made or has made is, you know, there are a lot of people that are going to be watching this. And I suspect that once it starts to show signs of success, you'll see it replicate in other communities across the country with donations and partnerships with healthcare delivery systems. Well, Chad, thanks for sending us that story. And we look forward to hearing more about what transpires in 2025 as that program gets off the ground. And hey, you listened to the last episode of the Healthcare Blame Game that covered patient rights advocate and Cynthia Fisher's distortion of federal price transparency regulations and how pricing actually works. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on the ground we covered in that episode. You know, I thought the episode did a very nice job of calling out where PRA was, in essence, making up requirements that weren't in CMS's regs and then trying to, you know, shame hospitals or hold hospitals accountable for something that they're not legally required to do. And then using that standard to, shall we say, obscure the compliance rate with the hospital price transparency requirements, because as we know, CMS is the ultimate arbiter. And the last time that they sort of provided a score on this, which was Last year, roughly this time, over 70% of hospitals were compliant, and I suspect that that compliance rate has gone even further now as hospitals have had more time to, to comply. Yep. And as you know, we invited PRA's founder, Cynthia Fisher, to join us for that episode, and she was scheduled, but at the last minute, her rep cited a family emergency. We've tried multiple times to reset that interview with no response. Chad, there are longstanding issues around patients understanding costs which I think is the heart of price transparency. And we all want price transparency in healthcare, right? We all want to understand costs and, and what we owe at point of service and options and all those sorts of things. I've had this conversation with three family members in the past month, and I'm trying to figure out which way is up myself. Uh, and importantly, there are major cost and affordability issues. So sustainability is a very real concern in healthcare these days. But PRA is missing the boat on the healthcare conversation we need to be having in this country, don't you think? The real driver behind the, the rise in debt for the insured is employers pushing more cost onto the individuals who can least afford it, those who are more likely to use their healthcare. So really they're basically taking the social insurance portion of your commercial insurance away 
and really turning it into a, a penalty for those that are more likely to be sick. And that's something that really isn't getting the amount of discussion that it needs to get. Cynthia also appeared on NPR's On Point recently. I know that's an episode you've heard. We'll link that interview in the show notes. She repeated what PRA has said in its reports and what we talked about in the last episode, which they say 36% of hospitals are complying with price transparency rules, while CMS's compliance is at 70%. But she also makes the point that price transparency rules, although she calls them laws, but no laws have been passed, uh, have not thus far moved the needle on the cost of care. It is a needed conversation and action is needed here to move the needle on cost. But what should we all be fighting for right now? You know, I think it's looking at where there are opportunities to better manage care in the outpatient setting so it doesn't regress to needing hospital care. I think it's looking at input costs for when hospital care is needed. So labor supplies, drugs. Um, and you look at those two things and I start to think you make a dent. You know, it's, it's, it's looking at how do we deliver high quality care in a more cost effective manner and we do it proactively. So Chad, we have federal price transparency regulations now, but are they the price transparency regulations we need? Are they the regulations that are going to solve the transparency problem and the pricing problem and, uh, and these sorts of issues? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll come at this from two different angles. From the patient's perspective, as a patient, what I care about is what's my out-of-pocket cost at the point of care. And certainly both the plan transparency requirements require plans to make an out-of-pocket cost estimator available, and the hospital requirements currently have the option for hospitals to put an out-of-pocket estimator up that is, that is individual and plan-specific. And what's interesting is that a lot of the legislation that's currently moving through Congress, which I believe PRA supports, would actually eliminate the option for the hospital to have that out-of-pocket cost estimator, which would actually help me as the patient understand what my, you know, lap coli would cost if I'm doing this on an elective basis. So that's that's kind of point one. Two, really, when... The conversations that I've had with the data brokers who are aggregating this data, what they will very quickly tell you is that the data that they are taking out of these machine readable files, either on the hospital side or the plan side, isn't intended or even being used to help patients, but it's being aggregated and given to employers, union groups, and hospitals to help them in their next round of contract negotiations. So it's really up in the air as to whether that data is doing the thing that, that, that Cynthia claims that it's doing or could do. We're not going to regulate our way to a better, more patient-friendly, more transparent, more sustainable healthcare system. It's going to require executives in all corners of healthcare to take some bold, really uncomfortable steps to get us going down the right path. Well, hey, thanks, Chad, for joining us today. Always good to catch up with you and Erica and certainly keep up the good work. Healthcare Blame Game is a production of the Healthcare Financial Management Association. Brad Dennison is the Director of Content. Erica Grotto is Executive Producer. Additional writing and research are done by Senior Editor Paul Barr and the HFMA Editorial Team, with support from the HFMA Policy Team and Rick Dundling, HFMA Senior Vice President of Professional Practice. 
sound engineering and editing is by Linda Chandler. HFMA's president and CEO is Ann Jordan. Now I've got little bunny foo-foo stuck in my head. Thank you.